This is People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz. I am Janice Leibovitz and you are once again my People of the Book. Welcome back. Can you believe it? 2022, brand new year, but still old People of the Book and we're back. Looking forward to an incredible year with you once again. New books, new authors, lots to learn, lots of journeys to go on. And to start off with talking about journeys, I have an amazing author with me today, Gareth Woods. Welcome to the show. Thanks very much. Gareth has written a book, and some may think it's quite controversial. The name of the book is (laughs) We Have Been Imploring Our Children for Years, Many Years, to Go Play Outside, Go Climb a Tree, Go Run Around, Go and do whatever, but go do it outside. And Gareth's book is called Go Play Inside, What Video Games Can Teach Us About the Game of Life. Gareth was born in probably, he says, the least technologically aware town in the world. Where was that, Gareth? Uh, That was Clarkstorp in the early 1980s. (laughs) (laughs) And you were fascinated by games from an early age, whether they were board games, traditional sports, video games. And you enjoyed losing yourself in a world of strategies and tactics, which gave you space to grow, explore and play. But you never actually hoped to make a career out of gaming, but it was that passion that led you to start your own gaming and marketing agency, your gaming marketing agency, and ultimately to write this book as a way to share that passion and the lessons that you learned that you wanted to share with others. You say in your book, You start off by saying that there are more than 2 billion gamers in the world. That's an astonishing number of gamers. Yeah. What's amazing with numbers like that I've found is that it's completely unrelatable, where you go like, show me what 2 billion of anything look like, let alone people. But when you when you go look at the population stats of like entire continents and you go, 2 billion people is more than the entire population of Africa, or 2 billion people is more than all of Europe, North America, and South America combined, you kind of get an idea of, first of all, how many people live in Asia, but also uh, just how many people 2 billion gamers. It's it's not this niche minority activity anymore. Like, yeah. find 2 billion population of anything. And so you, you realize just how mainstream and popular gaming has become. Absolutely. So So give me a short nutshell version about how you yourself, how did you get into gaming? I guess I was quite fortunate that, uh, I mean, considering especially uh, South Africa, 1980s, one's ability to get any, you know, international products or whatever into the country was, you know, either you knew someone who, you know, went overseas because you weren't being able to import things. But I had a a cousin whose uh, dad came back from a business trip with an old Atari. You know, it's one of the most famous kind of consoles. It's got uh, like wooden. I mean, the fact it's got wooden inlays in it kind of tells you about like the time we were in. And there it is with its one button and its little joystick controller. I've actually got it as as a tattoo. You know, just I guess memory to to how it all started. And you know, I remember going over there and playing. You know, on this console, sitting there, you know, as the four or five year old I was with my, you know, feet crossed and my sitting on my hands because, you know, couldn't touch it when it wasn't my turn. But I, I remember falling in love with this experience of even as a five year old being able to hang out with these 12 and 13 year olds because there was this like connective experience, unlike anything that was around at the time. I think at the moment it would be nothing for a 
you know, five-year-old to play a video game and be playing with kids of different ages and, you know, it's for something that's so seen. But at the time, I guess age group free gaming was very, very different. You know, like play outside. Yeah. Five-year-olds weren't playing with 13-year-olds because 13-year-olds would pretty much wreck them, you know, playing rugby or any of the kind of physical games that kids play. But like there was this almost sycophantic, like looking up at your older cousin, being able to like play games with them was just this amazing kind of connective experience. And then I guess the fact that my dad was very much into tech uh, allowed that to to grow because I think, especially in that time, it was the satanic panic of anything from overseas, you know, whether it was Ninja yeah. Turtles or whether it was... Yeah. He-Man or Thundercats, whatever, everything was satanic. And so video games were definitely on that list as well, despite the fact that, I mean, you were playing Pac-Man and Pong, and really you had to use your imagination to even imagine that these two paddles were tennis players, let alone anything, <laughs> you know, satanic. Right. So, you know, it was it was great to have parents, I guess, who encouraged it. And And I think we often talk about privilege. You know, we talk about like financial privilege or educational privilege and all the kind of privilege you get is either a white person or previously advantaged or male or whatever. I think one privilege we never talk about enough is just the privilege of open-minded parents, uh, especially during that time. My dad being a minister, so you'd think how much pressure he must have got from his congregation in terms of like, I can't believe your kids play video games and all that sort of stuff. Getting, but having a dad who's going, my kid likes this, my kids, I can see him learning and enjoying and engaging. And instead of it being this contraband thing, which I think was where the title of the book came from, was the amount of parents who, you know, go play outside. You're wasting your time with this music, this drawing, this gaming, whatever it was. Kids for generations have been told by their parents, you're wasting your time with whatever that pursuit is, go play outside. And I guess the tongue-in-cheek joke is I've learned far more from playing video games than I ever did from playing outside. You are listening to People of the Book, and I'm chatting today to... Gareth Woods. I love it when you read to me. This is People of the Book with Janice Liebowitz. This is People of the Book and I'm Janice Liebowitz. Today I'm talking to Gareth Woods about his book, Go Play Inside. What video games can teach us about the game of life? And before the break, Gareth was talking about how he got into gaming and that initial feeling. Gareth, tell me about that feeling when you finally received your very first game. I believe it was Super Mario Brothers 3. And even though it was three years, I mean, imagine getting a game three years after it's released. I don't even think we could imagine yeah. today. <laughs> I mean, now I, mean I think we get it the, yeah, the yeah. second it's on the market. 100%. It's in our hands. So I think obviously that speaks a little bit to just how much gaming has accelerated in terms of, uh, I guess, the the international releases and even everyone just keeping up with, you know, as as you're joking, the, the fact that like you wouldn't wait three years for a, a new game. We, but we waited in those days to get those games. And also maybe the naivety of a, I think I was a seven-year-old who would think this is a brand new game because, you know, you're completely oblivious because... We didn't have the internet or, or gaming on TV to keep us informed. You had children on the playground and recommending games was, that's all you got or, or magazines you happened to find from those. Do you remember those, those places where you used to like buy magazines by weight? They were just like old oh, yes. imports of magazines. Yes. I can't remember the names of those stores, but you used to go in and just buy international magazines that might have been years old, but you bought them by weight. 
but it was just the only way you got any kind of gaming material. And yeah, I, I got Super Mario 3. It wasn't the first game I ever got, but it was like definitely one of the most, I suppose, prized uh, games I, I ever remember receiving. I've also, I've got that game as a tattoo, uh, old Super Mario, like on my arm. And uh, I get a lot of love for that because it's done like in the pixel style. You can see him there. Um, but yeah, it's just this amazing experience to, you know, run downstairs and go open all your presents and get this cartridge. And I guess at that age, not being allowed to, you know, play TV games by myself or like to, to switch them on by myself. So sitting there, I guess, waiting, looking <laughs> at the console, like the little cartridge and they didn't even come in the elaborate packaging that they come in now, you know, in terms of like, oh, like a little book that you could read. It was literally a cartridge, cartridge with a little sticker on it. And then I am just like looking at it, waiting for, you know, kids who wake up on Christmas at like 5 a.m. So it's like waiting till a reasonable time. My parents would wake up seven or eight sitting there waiting for my parents to wake up so I could play the game. Amazing. So yeah. moving on to, to the, the concept of telling parents that it's okay to tell your kids go play inside. The gaming, what does it teach you? You said that, that what you love about gaming is the very clear structure of games, mm. the expectation, the performance, and the rewards. Talk to me about that. Yeah, I mean, obviously, multi-tiered question, and I guess multi-tiered answer, hence 55,000 words on the subject. <laughs> um, but I guess it's the idea that, like, for me, I'll speak to a bit of advice my dad gave me. He said there are very few times that your kids will invite you into their world. And if you don't accept that invitation wholeheartedly without judgment, those invitations will become less frequent until they disappear. And I think that becomes the key. It's like if your kid comes to you with their love of a game or shows you their artwork or shows you some music they're into and your reaction is, I mean, we don't have to watch enough Disney movies to understand this like cliched reaction of like, I'm too busy or what is this garbage you're listening to or like, this art is terrible. Do you think that same kid 10 years from now is going to come to you with the problem of like, I'm dealing with a bully at school. I'm dealing with drugs. I'm dealing with whatever my sexuality, whatever. Of course not. You, you basically came down them from a dizzy height about their love of a video game. How do you think they think you're going to react to something like that they truly potentially embarrassed about? And, and I think that's the key in terms of like being open-minded towards it doesn't have to be gaming like whatever your kids are into it just happens that gaming was the thing I was into and I think the fact that my parents were so open about my joy of gaming and and seeing me particularly because I was such a serious kid I remember the kid anecdotally the kid who during matric exams had you know you often get that break where you've got like one exam and then 15 days later you have your next one I recently went through it yes yeah, so so you know exactly what I'm talking yeah. about. I was the kid who would be like, cool, that's 15 days to catch up for math too. And my parents like locking my books away and forcing me to go play with friends because it's one of those like you need to be a human child, not some <laughs> sort of like serious robot. And yeah, cool. So I played for two, three days and then hit the books with what? Only 10 days instead of 15 and still did fine. And I guess it was that like, understanding that you know gaming for me became this i guess escape became this like other way to connect with with like-minded individuals um i mean yeah i I can talk about gaming my love for it and, and all the reasons why i think it's important i think we were always sold when we were kids on like all that marketing marketing puffery of like hand eye coordination and uh it will help with problem solving skills and spatial awareness and all that sort of stuff that gaming marketing companies sold to parents to help yes. them buy consoles. But but the fact is that like 
what I love most about the learning in gaming is that it is so hidden as the true purpose for why you play. Uh, I even joke about it. I, I think I highlight in like bold text and like exercise font. Parents, if you're reading this book to find a way to stop your kids playing games, here's the key. Here's the call out. This is the only line you have to read is like, tell them they are learning, force them to learn, them, make sure they practice. 100%. Like I, I remember playing those learning games and I'm using air quotes there for those who can't see like that were educational, teaching you to type or teaching you history or whatever. And they were boring AF, but you played them because they were games. Nowadays, games hide that stuff even better. You don't even know that you're learning. You don't even know the stuff that you're picking up that, that, um, non game. I only see it because I see non gamers interact with a game for the first time. And I'll take something as simple as like, you throw gamers into a game like Mario. I just use it because it's a very famous example. Most people have seen a Mario game. Mario sits on the left-hand side of the screen facing right. You give that controller to a gamer, they know, start heading right. Like for a non-gamer, they'll often ask, which way must I go? Whereas a gamer just assumes he's positioned on the left, he's facing right, he needs to go right. It won't even be a question. They'll just instinctively. and, And so you'll find that gamers pick up on all those like heuristics and semantics of a situation like almost intrinsically, you give them a problem and they're always, they're already into problem solving state. They're not in this like, what must I do now? Where must I go? There's this like, this fearless, almost reckless abandon of going, I'm just going to try things because what's the worst thing that happens is it goes game over and I try again. I find like non-gamers are often a little bit scared to like try things, like to, to see how far the rules will let them go to push things. And, and given my like 10 or 15 years experience in the kind of the corporate space, I can see it. The people who game like are used to trying new things and are not scared of failing. And there's almost this, this knowledge that success is inevitable. The, the problem I am faced is just a matter of time, not a matter of if it's, I, I will solve this problem. I just need to keep at it or try different things or increase my skill till, till I solve the problem. But yeah, I mean, I could go chapter by chapter in terms of, but, but you also, you say here that, that, that you learn. As a result, and the learning shouldn't be the motivating reason to play. I mean, yeah, you all the things that you learned, the analytical skills and recognizing patterns and trends and the patience and perseverance. And as you say, learning from mistakes and, and being able to focus on yourself so that you can overcome adversity. And that is the result of your gaming, not the reason why you're yeah, yeah. gaming. I never, even being the serious kid that I am, ever decided to play a game because like, cool, my resilience is going to increase by playing this. Ooh, my problem solving will increase by doing this. I'm just like, I want to have fun for whatever reason, whether it's competition, whether it's escapism, whether it's entertainment, like multiple reasons. The the learning was the, I guess, passive result of these things. And that's why I'm very adamant of, you know, I talk to parents about um, screen time and they always talk about like how much screen time do you keep allowing my kids, whatever. I'll allow my kid like an hour of screen time, but an hour and a half if it's gaming, because like I don't really want him to be passively watching TV because I find that like it's a far more passive um, entertainment form. I can see it when he's gaming, he's interacting, there's emotional buy-in. He's like sometimes sad, sometimes happy, elated, whatever, but he's engaged. When I see him watch TV, I mean, we all know that like completely glazed over, zombified kind of space of just watching TV. And so, yeah, yeah, I guess the incentive I built there was going, 
cool, you can have half an hour extra if you play games. I guess the only challenge I've given my son is just like, whichever game you pick, that's the game you're playing. It's not a case of, I play this game for five minutes, it gets difficult, and then I try something else. It's, what are the game we're playing today? It doesn't have to be the same every day, but what's the game we're playing today? Cool, we're playing Mario Party. That's what we're playing today. And if it gets hard, we keep trying. But like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, if you want to stop playing, you stop playing games. You don't stop playing this game and move on to the next one. Right. And so that's, I guess, the keeps me happy, <laughs> even if it's just like a little bit of a naive kind of, um, and I feel like I'm teaching him. This is People of the Book, and we are having an incredible discussion about why you should tell your kids to go play inside. I love it when you read to me. This is People of the Book with Janice Liebowitz. I'm Janice Liebowitz. This is People of the Book, and we are talking to Gareth Woods about why your children should go play inside and what they can learn from video games and what they can teach them about the game of life. Gareth, talk to me about that triggering line that people tend to say about it's just a game. It's actually not even a triggering sentence. It's just that word just. Yeah, and I do mention that in the book. It's the it's a you mention it. It's the whole chapter. Yeah, (laughs) it's the word just. I think I think that's what what always triggers me the most is I'm imagining a situation where what what you're telling someone is don't be human. You're telling someone that like they're invested in something. You're telling people to I've seen it in in the sporting world. You tell people to be competitive, to do their best, but then when they're when they cry because they lose. Or when they go absolutely nuts because they win and they're cheering, whatever. You go, ah, chill. It's just a game. And you're going, but I'm, you're telling this person to give their all. You're telling them to do everything they can to win. And then when they cry that they lose, when they cry that they win, you're telling them like, no, no, don't be human. I, I mean, I remember the ridiculous thing like at my school where the kids, everyone would get riled up for like the first team rugby game. They're all cheering and the cheerleaders are there and whole schools in arms cheering like, Typical kind of Model C or boys school, very proud of our rugby team. And then if anyone, if they scored a try and if, and the people on the field, like the players, like had it more than just a kind of like fist pump, yes, excited for scoring. If they went and like did the kind of celebrations you saw on TV, you know, running across this field, making a dog pile, whatever, they would get detention. They would get detention for being human, for celebrating after the whole week we've been pumped up, we've been doing cheerleading. It's our arch rivals, whatever our like brother school is. And then when we succeed, it's a case of going, no, no, no. You go back to the trial line and you wait for the kickoff. Like it's the most inhuman thing in terms of like, it's so robotic. And you know, you imagine a situation where someone works really hard. They do this day job night and day because their motivation is to buy that car they've dreamed of as a kid. And they finally one day they buy it and someone just goes, Ugh, it's just a car. Like stop getting so worked up about yeah. it. But it's not just a car. The car is the symbol of a dream they had as a kid, as the hard work they put in, the, the late nights, the sacrifices they made, and the it's it's symbolized by the car. But it's not just the car. And I so and so that's the thing is when I see people like say, oh, don't get worked up by games. It's like no, like if someone I want people to be invested in games, especially since games are not what people think they are anymore. It's, we're not talking about Pac-Man. You know, some games are like super emotive. They, they are full on 
like heart-wrenching dramas some games. Other games, like in terms of the competition space, the esports space, you're talking about people committing their lives to a game, an esport, and then if they win or they lose, of course they're not going to just like go, yes, I did it. They are going to jump up and down or cry when they win or lose. And and it's just part of the fact that like gaming has become a connecting point to all sorts of emotions, to human connection between other people, an investment of time. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it is triggering when people go, it's just a game because I, I'm, I'm not of any, I'm not trying to say it's not a game. I know this is not real life. I know like I control my reactions and I shouldn't be breaking controllers or swearing at other players when I lose or whatever, but I'm still sad when I lose. Like I'm still happy when I win. Otherwise, it is a robotic waste of time if you're just completely dead inside. I mean, as, as you've as you've said here, you want your kids to be happy. We want our kids to be happy and to be themselves, to follow their passions. But we don't want them playing games, and we diminish and belittle their passions if they aren't in line with our expectations. Yeah, 100%. So, so there are things you're allowed to be excited about. Yes. So you're allowed to be excited about the sp- the traditional sports team winning the World Cup. But, and you can be sad at a movie that, you know, t- you know, tugs on the heartstrings, but not a game. Now, you can't be happy about winning, like, a very important game or being sad because your favorite character in a game that you love has died. It's like, you know, it's just, it's, it's so weird for me. It's, it's, it's like we, we keep telling our children, you can be anything you want to be, but we will only validate you if that's in line with yeah. our expectations. Yeah. You can be anything you want to be, as, as long as it's a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, you're right. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's very, it's, it is weird. Like you say, you found it weird. It is weird. And it's, it's mm-hmm. not exactly, I, I don't like using the term right or wrong because everyone's, uh, everyone's view of right or wrong. I mean, it's all very, yeah. no, it's all, it's all relative. It's all my opinion. All and, relative um, and everyone's I, got I a guess point of reference and we're not going to go. For me, there. an example was, was, um, I I'd just taken a job at a big online retailer and was really just not enjoying the job. It was, uh, there was like a, like a personal kind of clash in terms of my ideologies and all that sort of stuff. And um, I remember I'd only been there like three months and I, I just resigned. I just like, this is not for me. And I met my boss going, but you've got a kid on the way. You've like, you've, you're, then you obviously I had a son on the way in like two weeks time. And I said, yeah, that's entirely the point. I can't do this job. And tell my kid that he can follow his dream and be whatever he wants and imagine him like going, Oh dad, cause, cause you always wanted to be a, a department manager at an online retailer. Yes. Cause what I always wanted to be was a department manager at an online retailer. Yeah, and that I was hate. the motivation for quitting. Like I, I can't tell, I can't tell you and like, especially my son who I don't want to ever lie to. This like, follow your dream, be whatever you want to be. And then I'm not doing that myself. Yeah. And so that was the motivation for quitting and, you know, started consulting in the kind of gaming and esports space, uh, started an agency. Uh, and now, I, I mean, I can't believe how successful everything's been. And I owe a lot of that to just going dovetailing a passion with a skill set. I think too often people jump ship, do their own thing and they follow a passion that they're not particularly skillful at. Um, you know, they go, a, a lot of people, for example, I'll segue into a question parents ask me a lot. It's like, are there careers in gaming? And I go, of course, yes. But the thing is, people think that 
being in gaming means you play games professionally. Yes. For one, I, I do not play games professionally. I'm in the gaming industry. I'm a marketing director at a gaming analytics firm right now. I, I don't play games professionally. I'm not A, talented enough or B, charismatic enough to be entertaining for people, you know, to, to watch. Um, but I have a skill set in marketing and sponsorships from t- t- 10 odd years of working in corporate that I've dovetailed with a passion and a knowledge of the gaming space. That's the difference. So if someone is a writer and they've got a passion for gaming, they're not going to suddenly become a full-time gamer. They might write the script or write the next game, the next big Hollywood blockbuster type game. That's what I'm talking about, this dovetailing between a skill set and a passion. You might be an accountant, but you become an accountant at a gaming firm, which allows you to hang around with other gamers and talk gaming and be proud of the products you release. But at the end of the day, your skill set and the value you add to the world is as an accountant. And I think that that's the key that I think parents are missing. We we somehow understand that if our kid says, I want to go into the movie industry, we know that, oh, that could mean an actor or a director or a, you know, a set hand or a set director, you know, all sorts of different yes. roles that are in the movie industry down to even like running a cinema or marketing a movie. Like there are millions of different jobs in the movie industry, but somehow when it's gaming, because parents just don't understand it enough, they think, Oh, my kid wants to play games professionally. There are very, very few people who get to play games professionally. Like the rest are all um, in I've the industry. Them. I have seen them. I've been to Comic-Con. Oh, yeah? And I have seen those professional gamers. It's mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing. It's a very, very tall mountain that only very few people get to Absolutely. enjoy. And for a very limited time because, yes. you know, you've got to stay competitive and on top for, for long enough, you know? But that said, I mean, Comic-Con is... Wow. <laughs> it's wow. Yeah, I, I had the just absolutely euphoric experience of getting to go to Gamescom in Cologne, wow. which is um, 400,000 gamers kind of descend on, on uh, the small town uh, for like the week. And also just having the, the insane privilege of, of getting a press pass. So you're skipping all the lines, you're getting interviews with all these directors. And I guess that was the moment where it all just kind of, it was, I guess, what yeah, it felt like a holy pilgrimage kind of thing. I, you know, I couldn't just holy land sort imagine. Of thing. Yeah. I couldn't just imagine. No, it's it's an amazing experience because, uh, yeah. yeah, no, I, I've I've had a media pass for Comic Con and it's an incredible experience. Hopefully yeah. next year we'll get to do it again. And yeah, in real life, <laughs> it's it's just, it is really amazing. Back to the book. I'm going to go back to this, this whole go play outside, go climb a tree, go run around, all that. And we all know, yes, it's got its benefits and the whole exercise and physio and fresh yeah. air and all that. And, but, but when we say go play outside, we want our kids to have fun. It's, it's for fun. Go have fun. But we'll get out of my hair. Yeah. Yeah. There's that. There's that. But why don't we tell people, why don't we tell our kids go, go, play inside, go, go play on the PlayStation. Why don't we tell them to do that to get out of our hair? And why can't gaming also exist just for fun? Yeah. You are yeah, in, in the book. Yeah. I think that's the key. It kind of going back to something we started talking about with the, uh, you know, the element of what do kids learn from gaming? And, you know, the point is that like the point of gaming can also just be that it is a fun thing that people like doing. You know, if I asked you, you know, what is the point of the Netflix shows you watch? Because, I mean, we've all been that parent that's like, okay, you can watch TV, but it has to be Discovery Channel. 
because then you're learning something. Does anyone do that to you with your TV watching? Of course not. Like TV can just be for entertainment because as human beings, we need entertainment. Like the, the, the human body like abhors boredom. In fact, if that's, if that's anything, you watch a child and you go, no, you can't play TV or, you know, go entertain yourself. At first they like stomp around on board or they lay around like, you know, every bone in their bodies just suddenly disappeared and they slump on the floor. And then eventually they find a way of entertaining themselves, either with their toys or with the, see my kid entertain himself for hours with a balloon. You know, the balloon is suddenly a volleyball or a jolly ball, as he calls it. Then it's a soccer ball. Then it's a basketball. Then it's something to play hide and seek with. It's a balloon. It costs 50 cents. But it's this idea that just yeah. like humans just a ball boredom. We like to be entertained, whether the entertainment comes from ourselves or not. And so onto the gaming thing, it doesn't have to be this thing of like, okay, you can play games, but as long as you're like training for your esports team or as long as it's problem solving games, so your brain's getting better. Like the game can just be fun. Like it can just be a fun thing that they enjoy doing. The learning is a secondary benefit that they get. That's been part of what that chapter is about is just telling people that yes, they will learn things whether you are forcing them to learn things or not. But you also say sometimes you win, sometimes you learn. I use a little play on words where they always talk about in gaming, like taking the L, meaning like taking, taking the loss, you know, take the L. But in, in that, that chapter talking about like the L can be, you know, take the lesson. It's a pretty, cliche term to go like sometimes you win and sometimes you learn and with gaming like i think no more iterative process exists in terms of like you play a stage and you know if you lose you learn i I remember one particular game called celeste and it's a it's a platform game so for those who don't know the kind they call them platformers because your character kind of jumps from platform to platform and this one is particularly difficult i learned that from your book Thank you. Oh, there you go. In this game, it's a particularly difficult one, and it does sell itself on its difficulty. That's kind of like the, you know, one of its marketing um, kind of like key brand messages is that it's a difficult game, and and you have to overcome the game to be able to get through. There's no easier difficulties or, you know, cheat codes or whatever. You just got to get better. And it also is very um, prominently displays your death counter, so how often you've died in the game. And in between loading stages, there's often like these little messages to remind you, you know, to jump press A, to double jump press A twice within a second. And sometimes it can become a little bit condescending where you're going, yeah, you're telling me things I learned in the first five minutes of the game as if I've somehow forgot. And that's why you're reminding me because, you know, uh, I died a thousand times. But I remember a key message coming up that went, be proud of your death count. Every time you fail, you learn. And so there was this weird kind of click for me where I went, yeah, I've died a thousand times in this game, like literally over a thousand times. And there was this idea that like, I've received over a thousand lessons. Like I have learned something or learned over a thousand different things or something 500 times. And I've just been learning it, learning, learning it again to the point where I almost felt like I got cheated of a learning experience when I passed the stage first time. So when I got to a stage and my, my skill level had risen to the point where I would just breeze through the stage without dying, because you only, it's one of those kind of games where if you die once, you start again, no continues, whatever. And so I got this weird feeling that going, hey, I beat that stage first time. I didn't learn anything. There was almost this like, <laughs> oh, like, yeah, like, and, and it was just such a weird thing. And I know it's, it's completely naive to expect people to transfer that into the real world. But imagine having that attitude towards failure where if you just completely 
dominated a situation, you went like, ah, oh, like I need to now like force a learning opportunity for myself. Like how could I improve or how could I do it faster or better or kinder or whatever my kind of way of doing things. Yeah. But the, the lesson wasn't thrust upon me. It was, I need to go actually find the learning opportunity in this. And um yeah, I mean, it's maybe naive, but I, I just felt there was this, this great attitude that I've tried to coach my kid through, for example, when he's getting frustrated by a game is, I guess, the idea that you're learning. Like every time you fail, you're learning. Because if you can have the gamer's attitude, which is success is inevitable. It's just a matter of time and skill. My, I need to put more time into this game. My skill needs to increase. But it's one of those, I need to beat this boss once. This boss can beat me a million times. But once I beat this boss once, it is done and I move forward. That's that's just something about gaming, which I imagine we had that attitude towards defeating cancer or like world hunger or whatever. As in like, this is not a can we do this? This is a like we just have to put enough time and develop our skills to the point that we beat this. As opposed to this feeling of going, I don't know if cancer can actually be beat. It's just a matter of putting in hours. I think that's an amazing attitude. I think it's just, as you say, something amazing that we should be able to apply to our own lives. This is Janice Leibovitz, and it's People of the Book. I'm talking to Gareth Woods today. I love it when you read to me. This is People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz. You are listening to People of the Book, and I'm talking to Gareth Woods about his book, Go Play Inside, What Video Games Can Teach Us About the Game of Life. Gareth, quite late in the book, you have a chapter that talks about play the tutorial. <laughs> this kind of like, to me, this was about, uh, this was similar to um, who reads the terms and conditions. We just, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we just uh, click the box. And of course. carry on. And, and you say most gamers don't play the t- tutorial and then they no, get to a no. stage of the game and they're kind of like stuck and they think, how was I supposed to know that? Like, you know, why did I know that? And then they figure, oh, I should have played the tutorial because they would have told me how to yeah. get past this. Why don't gamers play the tutorial? You just want to dive straight in, right? Yeah, of course. I mean, <laughs> part of it is games have now gotten very good at putting the tutorial in the game as as a learning experience. Sometimes it's as bad as like the screen will lock and it'll be like, to move forward, press forward. And you're like, okay. And then you move forward. Now I know to move forward, you press forward. <laughs> then it's like you, you you get to a small waist high obstacle and it will pause and go, to jump, press X. You're like, okay. You press X, you jump. And so it's like you're being force fed it. Other times it's a bit more interactive in case the learn, so the learning curve is, is quite shallow and it's introducing stuff as you go along but i think yeah too often is we want to jump in and it reminds me a lot of i think it's an abraham lincoln saying of going if i need to cut down a tree i i'll spend two hours sharpening the axe rather than you know two hours i'm butchering the term but it's the idea of like spend the time prepping planning getting ready and then diving in and you'll be more effective than the person who just simply dives in because you know, we need to chop down trees. I better start swinging the axe. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and, and I guess it was a, a bit of a, a meta comment that I put that particular chapter quite late into the book to go, cool. We're, we're about eight chapters in. Now let's talk about always read the tutorial before you <laughs> felt like, yeah, maybe should have done a, a little uh, choose your own adventure type thing. Like go back yeah, to page this, four. This and, 
Let's just mention it. You also mentioned that gaming is about control. I think that's the, a lot of people like having done these interviews now in the middle of COVID, people have said like, okay, cool. They're like 10 or 12 lessons. What's like the number one? You know, what's the, the nuggets, you know, the, the absolute kind of gold nugget to this thing. And, and for me, I guess personally during this time of, of COVID and, and things that are out of our control, is that why gamers, I feel, have adapted to the situation better than most. And a lot of people are saying, oh, they're technology kind of native and, and digitally savvy. So they, you know, having Zoom calls and chatting to their friends online is like not a new thing for them. They've been doing it for for years and fair enough. But I think one of the parts that people haven't really understood was the idea that gamers and playing in games, you're very aware of what is in your control and what is out of your control. Yeah. Games, are they're very, very good at letting you know. Let's take, let's take Mario, for example. So Mario jumps into the stage, stage begins, timer starts moving, music starts playing, and you realize whether you know the controls or not, you start pressing buttons and you go, cool, I move Mario. I can make him move left, right, I can make him duck, I can make him jump. And occasionally I get power-ups that allow him to shoot fireballs or do whatever. That is it. That's all I control. I don't control how fast time moves. I don't control gravity. I don't control the enemies. I don't control the clouds, the weather, anything. And I think it's like a weird gamer's serenity prayer where you kind of go, help me understand what I'm in control of and what I, you know, what I can't control and to know the difference. Yeah. And I think gamers have just been so aware of that for so long that times like this whole like COVID sort of situation where things we thought we were in control of, for example, like our employability, the success of the companies we work for, um, whether our lockdown and vaccines and all that sort of stuff, just going, yeah, those are all in the buckets of things I cannot control. What can I control? how I react to these situations, my emotions, my relationships with the people I care about, that I can control. And so that's what I'm going to focus my energy on. The stuff I can't control, well, no sense raging and being angry or upset or depressed about those things because they're out of my control. And yeah, I, I think if anything, if I had to go, of the lessons, which one would stand you in the best stead? It's it's that understanding of just like what's in control and what's not. I I, I I think I jokingly say they call it a controller for a reason. Yeah. Like the thing you hold in your hands is a controller. It's what it, that is, that is a piece of element like thing that you control. Everything else you don't control. And then just, just briefly to wrap up, would I yeah. be naive yeah. in saying so much of gaming is a metaphor for life? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think you are naive in saying so. I think a, a lot of games, um, especially, especially the more realistic ones, you know, where you're, you're playing a character, you're playing a role playing game where your character has, um, interests and desires and objectives to fulfill. Like a lot of it is linked to gaming and I think, or is linked to life. And I think that's why for one, you should try and avoid your character dying. Um, but it's, uh, you know, loosely based on, on the similar survival instinct we have in life. But I think at the end of the day, Games have become so varied that I think what I, I like the most is that there's now a space for everyone. It used to be very much the case of going games were a particular genre. And that's because 
the technology only allowed for puzzle games because like all we could allow were turn-based puzzle games, chess, checkers, that sort of stuff. But games are now becoming, if you like, you know, shooting simulators, if you like sports, if you like racing, if you like card games, if you like puzzles, if you like interacting with your friends, there's really something for everything. And I think that's been the key for me is gamers are are everywhere. It's this, in the marketing space, I often deal with the idea that brands will step into the gaming space and go, you're cool, we've got a campaign for gamers. And I go, okay, um, if you were releasing a novel, would you have a campaign for readers, like for people who are literate? No, of course, it's so broad. And I think the idea is that like gaming now has, you talk about 2 billion gamers, they are not all the same. Like the, you're talking about the, the games your son plays or not the yeah. games my son plays that my wife plays that I play. Like they were all very, very different. We connected because of our love of gaming, but gaming has become so different. And so in the same way that life is so different for so many different people and what we like about life and what we hate about life is so different for so many people. There's also a game for that. There's, there are for people who like solving problems, they're a puzzle game for people who like action and excitement. There's, you know, action, shooting games, whatever. For people who like competition, there's all sorts of things. So, yes, uh, I mean, it's it's quite easy to see the, you know, analogous kind of metaphors between gaming and life because there are just so many different types of games. And and I guess for anyone who says they're not a gamer, all I challenge you to say is that you probably just haven't found your game yet. You haven't found the game that you connect with, but it's out there. And so... Yeah, just find it. Amazing. Gareth Woods, thank you so much for your time this morning. It's been amazing learning from you. Cheers. Thank you very much for the opportunity. It's a a subject I I can talk about for hours. So the hardest part of this whole interview is only talking for an hour. (laughs) It's been great chatting to you. Thank you so much. And for you, my listener, hopefully you have learned so much. And if you are not yet a gamer, Perhaps you have just, as Gareth said, not yet found the right game. So go and look for one that is appropriate for you. Maybe you'll find something that you enjoy. Once again, start of a new year and hopefully the start of many, many new and exciting journeys together. I look forward to it. Lots of books, lots of authors, and some things have changed, but some things never change. And that is take care of yourself, take care of each other get vaccinated, wear a mask, and read a book.